Hello, welcome to episode number 39 of the At U2 podcast, talking all things U2, including album news, when it's appropriate, tour dates, when we have them, and community discussions from the staff of At U2. And this is our continuing in our series of album-by-album discussion in celebration of U2's 40th anniversary. And for this episode, we are discussing The Unforgettable Fire, and I've got some unforgettable guests, co-hosts with me this time. Uh, Matt, you're w- welcome back to the show. Thanks, Chris. How are you? I'm uh, sick, actually. Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> As you can maybe hear. <laughs> I was kind of wondering what's going on. <laughs> I haven't taken up smoking. Uh, just a bad cough. And Tasula, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you back. And Marilyn, reporting live from somewhere in Ireland, <laughs> on location. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> So Marilyn's using a special microphone this time, and uh, we're she's embedded. Embedded. We can't exactly say where, but if you look at the cover of the Unfrail Fire, you'll see somewhere she's wandering around the grounds of the castle. <laughs> so um, before we get into that discussion, though, just a few little uh, miscellaneous updates and things to report on, I guess, that are happening with at u two dot com. Um, like what? Like the uh, get-togethers we are having. So. Uh, the one in Dublin, there's a, a little shindig happening in Dublin, Matt. Do you have uh, any updates or news to share for folks? There's a shindig in Dublin. Yes, there is. No, um, the folks over in, uh, that are organizing that of our crew, uh, Aaron Govern and Kenny and Carol and Lizeth and everybody over there, they just, uh, scored Ivan McCormick as a special guest, which is going to be very cool. And so he's going to uh, be there and sort of do, I think the plan is that they're going to do some sort of, uh, Q and a like conversation kind of thing on stage before all the music starts and hopefully, you know, have a way to get audience interaction and audience questions and that kind of stuff. And, uh, so that should be really cool. And we just like, uh, Aaron just, we just had the story with Ivan McCormick, uh, that we posted what a week or two ago, I guess. And, you know, just had his diary and, you know, all the stories from that first meeting. So that should be really, really fun to hear. Yeah. And so for folks who aren't familiar, I guess, with who Ivan is, who's Ivan? I mean, all of the story linked in the show notes and stuff, but. Just- sure. Ivan, Ivan is Neil McCormick's younger brother, right, Tasula? Yep. Yes. Younger brother. And so Ivan was one of the six people that responded to the note on the bulletin board that Larry left and showed up at Larry's house for that very first get together slash rehearsal and brought his guitar and was, you know, technically, I guess, part of the band for at least a few weeks, a few months, maybe until they sort of phased him out uh, because he was a few years younger and they were playing, uh, <laughs> they were playing venues that they told him he was too young to play. That's, uh, that's the story. <laughs> it's not long enough to get any uh, royalties, I guess. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that'll be awesome to, to experience and see and hear uh, if you're able to attend. Uh, tickets are sold out, I guess, right? But um, I'm sure that we'll be figuring out live streaming, f- periscoping, whatever the event. So, uh, of course, follow at you two on Twitter to be notified of what's going on. Yes. And uh, any updates as far as the Cleveland gathering that's happening as well? 
none that we have posted we're so we're kind of like in this phase where we're getting updates from the rock hall like once a week or so and we haven't gotten an update yet this week as of wednesday evening as we record this and speak right now so they are um you know they're sort of in charge of the event and putting all the pieces together and we're just sort of kind of consulting and coordinating and helping promote and that sort of thing so just kind of waiting for uh waiting for updates and i know they're working on uh, trying to get uh, some panels and speakers and that sort of stuff put together. So hopefully we'll have some news soon. Yeah, and, and since we last recorded, if someone, I guess, if they're only listening to the podcast for news about U2 <laughs> and about at U2.com somehow, if that you're in that weird sort of niche, I guess, <laughs> that you don't read the web, um, there are tickets available so you can for the event. So if you're planning to be there, you can pick up tickets. Link will be in the show notes uh, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at, in Cleveland. Um, and, uh, yeah, tickets are $40 for the two day event, or you can buy a one day pro ticket for $20 if I'm reading things correctly. And, uh, some notable, uh, podcast luminaries <laughs> will be there, <laughs> <laughs> such as the four of us, I believe, right? I've, I finally got my ticket, plane ticket out there. So I, I, awesome. I had a hotel room before about I, time. I didn't have a plane ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I like to take things much slowly. Uh, and uh, podcast listener, live chat room uh, aficionado, if that's the right word, Fabiano, <laughs> is coming all the way from Brazil, so which is awesome. So looking forward to putting a face to the the little name in the chat room. <laughs> I think we should call him Celebrity Podcast Listener. Yeah, there that's you go. That's a great title. Does that does that work? Okay, I think that works. And he Fabiano. just he just corrected our pricing in the chat room as well. Oh, twenty three fifty is twenty three fifty is the normal price of general admission at the Rock Hall. If you buy through the at U two link, it's just twenty dollars. Oh, what a, what a deal! Right. In your face, Fabiano. <laughs> <laughs> take that that's the cold medication talking all right um in our, and rattle and hum tickets don't forget oh that. yes right because we have a live uh, showing of rattle and hum at a theater uh, a real theater not just someone's <laughs> tv in their basement but a real theater I, I don't know about you but i've never seen it in the theater um have you guys ever seen it yes yeah yes i saw it when it came out I did too on opening Me weekend, too. but I know, but I know Sherry has not seen it, and so she's looking forward to it. And um, if I, I'll just, you know, there's been some questions on Facebook and Twitter. You know, why aren't you doing? Why aren't you having a tribute band? You know, play a concert again and all this sort of stuff. And so I'll just. Uh, if I, I'll just give me a minute and I'll just sort of answer that. Why are we doing <laughs> a you know rattle and hum, which people have seen before, et cetera? So. Number one, I think our first thought was if we were going to do a tribute band, we would want the Unforgettable Fire to be there, which is they're sort of our favorite, um, you know, they're like our house band is what I declared them <laughs> last time we were I in hope, I hope they agree, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they know this and they're good with it. And so they couldn't make it to Cleveland. And so that sort of that combined with the fact that we felt like, you know, listen, we had this one event last summer that involved a tribute band and a couple important people showed up and played with them. And we kind of feel like, you know, let's not try and repeat that and repeat ourselves and let's try and do something different. So that played into the decision not to have a tribute band. And then I think the third thing that played into it was that, you know, the event starts Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. It runs 10 till 5.30 or 6 o'clock or whatever. Those of us that are on that are part of at you too, we're going to need to be there before ten o'clock to help with setup and getting things organized and all that kind of stuff. 
And so I think our kind of our thought process was after such a long day, why don't we do something a little more relaxing and enjoyable and something that we don't actually have to like work at? And um, so that made the decision a little easier to say, let's not do, you know, another party with a tribute band and let's see if we can just rent a movie theater, show Rattle and Hum. A lot of people have never seen it on the big screen. It's an amazing experience. And we'll just kind of, you know, have fun watching, uh, you know, watching Rattle and Hum together. We're getting old is what you're saying. That's exactly that's what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and like Fabiano in the chat room is mentioning that it is, you know, people were confused as far as whether they buy admission to the Rock Hall plus the U2 tickets or U240 tickets, et cetera. And so it's, yeah, you just need to buy the one U240 ticket that'll get you through to the weekend and whether it's one except day. Except for Rattle and Hum is separate. Except for Rattle and right. <laughs> and we have a link to that too. Yeah. And uh, my autograph signing will be separate as well, just so everybody's aware. <laughs> no, that is a joke. Um, okay. So, um, Briefly, we have a couple of just ask at you two questions or uh, comments that came in through our inbox. So if you send a tweet out with the hashtag ask at you two, it'll be, get uh, cataloged and archived and we'll throw it on the show in some form at some date. And just a couple of folks uh, we wanted to mention that were sort of in line with the Unforgettable Fire discussion at you two. Johnny mentioned looking forward to the Unforgettable Fire uh, review. The whole series has been really enjoyable and well worth listening to. Thanks, you two, Johnny. And at Kevin STU. New uh, podcast tonight. See below. Can't wait to hear what they say for a great album track. Wire. Oh, we'll have to see. And uh, at YouTube War Forty said this album has the finest examples of sketches that really work bad and ones that don't really stand up. Elvis Presley in America. Love the effort. Although Pride is a song that can't sound tired in a live setting, the recorded studio version is one of their best. So there you go. I tend to agree as 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 I've said in the past, but we'll save that for this discussion. Um, but before we do that, I just want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this episode, that's FeedPress. FeedPress is a simple, intuitive, and powerful RSS analytics and podcast hosting platform. It's where we at goodstuff.fm host all the podcasts that you hear, the At You Two show, as well as others. You get accurate subscriber podcast download and geolocation tracking, integrated newsletters, automated publishing to popular social networks a slick drag-and-drop podcast hosting interface, and everything you need in order to submit an optimized feed to iTunes to get your podcast on the way. They now give you 400 megabytes of file storage that rolls over each month and a brand-new podcast creation system. You can easily add show notes, artwork, and upload four high-quality bitrate MP3s per month. Upgrading your storage is easy and affordable, starting at a flat rate of just $20 for one gigabyte. FeedPress is trusted by many popular blogs and podcasting networks such as ESN.FM, Sideshow Network, Unprofessional, The New Disruptors, Inessential, The Brooks Review, 512 Pixels, and of course, GoodStuff.FM. You can sign up today with a 14-day trial, no contracts or commitments, and use promo code ATU2 to get 10% off your first year of service with FeedPress. We wouldn't be able to run GoodStuff.FM without them, and they are a proud sponsor of the At You 2 show. So thanks to FeedPress for sponsoring this podcast. You can find more details for them in the show notes for this episode or visit them at feedpress.com. So 
let's get into the uh, roundtable. Have uh, we've routinely gone way longer than I always expect we will when we start discussing these <laughs> the albums? But so. we flew we flew through the first part of the podcast, so I now know. we have lots of time. Right? I'm yeah. thinking that's the case. Now, now this is when all, you guys will surprise me and have nothing to say, and we'll be done in <laughs> five minutes. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Fun while it lasted. No, all right. So let's go with uh, we're starting to the unforgettable fire. We are uh, for those of you who are just tuning in. If this is your first episode, if you flip back to episode number thirty four. Uh, that's when we started this series, of course, with Boy, and we've gone album by album and uh, discussing the, sh- the uh, their albums on the podcast with various folks from at YouTube.com. So, um, yeah, anyone want to lead off, I guess, just in terms of uh, one thing we've sort of touched on is like, where was U2 at the time of the recording and sort of a stage of life for <laughs> for the band and uh, and just in general, uh, you know, this is back early 80s still we're in. Uh, late, late 84, I guess. You know, the big thing that stands out for me just in terms of where they were as a band and what was going on is that they had recorded the first three albums with Lily White, uh, Steve Lily White, and, you know, they made this decision that that was it. And I think Steve Lily White also made the decision that that was it. And, that, you know, so there was this, uh, you know, recognized need to go in a different direction as far as producers and they ended up choosing, as we all know, Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois and history, you know, the rest of the story is history. And it was a decision that, as I recall, the record label was not real fond of. And they sort of stuck to their guns and said, no, these are the guys we want to use. And, you know, it just it created, um, you know, what I think, you know, it's like, you know, we, we talk about U2 and how they you know they have these reinventions and they sort of you know they 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 go off in these different directions with you know certain of their albums and this was the first one where they did that this was the first you know for me at least the first time where there was this total you know sort of 180 turn from what they had been doing and just went off in just to a, an entirely uh, you know different direction and that's because of the producers they decided to work with and i think that was just you know this huge uh, decision for them and you know history his, you know hindsight being 2020 obviously was the right decision because they have this now lengthy uh you know lengthy career of working with Eno and Lanois that's been very you know fruitful and very you know successful so i you know that's to, that you know that to me is you know just in terms of the, the the place that the band was that's the first thing that stands out for me is that you know they made this dramatic decision to go with producers that the label didn't want and you know, the rest is history. And it is those kind of things that are like, that always fascinate me about a band and obviously in this case, you too, but like the things in hindsight that seem obvious, like, well, of course they went with Daniel Lenoir and, you know, whatever, and things they've, choices they've made throughout their career. But at the time it wouldn't have been like, like you said, you know, it wasn't the obvious choice. It wasn't the easy choice. They had to fight for it a bit with the label, et cetera. And, um, and, and then, yeah, the, the way it turns out in hindsight is makes them look really good, obviously, but it wasn't like just a given the way even these days, it still isn't a given that U2 is going to have an amazing album necessarily. But um, anyways, we won't talk about their next album. We're still back in the eighties. So <laughs> I found a, just an interesting quote uh, from 
Bono. This is from uh, about 10 years ago now, uh, talking about the unforgettable fire, looking back on it, where he said in typical, you know, Bono, very humble fashion, said, we knew the world was ready to receive the heirs to the who. All we had to do was keep doing what we were doing and we would become the biggest band since Led Zeppelin, without a doubt. <laughs> but something just didn't feel right. We felt we had more dimension than just the next big anything. We had something unique to offer. The innovation was what we would suffer. The innovation was what would suffer if we went down the standard rock route. We were looking for another feeling. So obviously Bono uh, has very uh, rose-colored glasses in terms of hindsight looking <laughs> at things and uh, the way things were. But it does speak to you know the ambition and the drive they had, I guess, to to do something more than just repeating the success of the past and, and, uh, keep moving forward. So, um, the, the album name unforgettable fire obviously has a bit of it's, they're not afraid to sort of go with, um, darker themes and, and, uh, bringing up, uh, historical and political issues as, as part of what they're doing with their music and their albums. Um, and, uh, the name was the name was uh, a, a Hiroshima exhibit of photo exhibit or something like that, yep. wasn't it? In Chicago, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and then the album cover art, obviously being um, now is that the that isn't is that Slane Castle? It's not Slane. That's okay. Moydrum. That's always what people or I always you know because it was recorded at Slane, you sort of think, oh, that's where that must be with it. That would have been logical for them to put Slane <laughs> on the cover, but no. But it's another another uh, castle in Ireland somewhere, I'm assuming. Moydrum. Moydrum, okay. Castle Moydrum. It's right in the center of the country in a town called Athlone. There you go. So there's something to put on your Ireland map if you're going on a pilgrimage. And Maryland's there'll right. Quiz on that, there'll be a quiz on that after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maryland's coming to us live from Moydrum, right? So I am. <laughs> That's right. I am. I'm behind that hay bale. <laughs> on the front cover. <laughs> You can kind of see my hair if you look really close. What do you, Marilyn? I don't know if you like as far as the album cover itself and and whether what stage of of you two ness you were at when you first saw this album. But the cover art that they chose does it is it something that's like yes, that's amazing, and I want to listen to it, or is it kind of like what were they thinking, or which where do you fall in that spectrum? Um, well, like Matt said, um, we didn't know at the time that every album was going to be a complete about face. Um, when they were, you know, when we were waiting for the next U2 album to come out. So, yeah, I was really surprised at this cover because it's just so different um, than the War uh, album cover, which is so stark and um, really uh, kind of in your face, like that album. Um, But this, I think the cover is just the perfect representation of uh, what this album sounds like, you know, it looks kind of, um, ethereal and they look like they're floating through the landscape and this old castle that is just barely there. It's just barely standing. You can see the light coming through it. Um, I, I love it. I think it's, I think it's great. I love it. I love all of the all of the imagery from this album and for the exact same reason that Marilyn said it's so like I have all the albums right on my I'm looking at them right now on my wall and you know boy was kind of black and white and October's this god awful photo of the band and (laughs) (laughs) right am I I'm not wrong right (laughs) it's just just an awful cover and war is you know kind of black and white and then 
you know, you can take Under Blood Red Sky or, or count that or not. But then the Unforgettable Fire cover is just I list, I love the cover. I love the posters from this from this era. I love all of the promotional photos from this era. If I could decorate, if if I had to pick one album to decorate a room with all of the imagery from, it would be Unforgettable Fire imagery. So I just oh. I love I love all of the the colors and just everything that they did with this. Yeah, it's interesting. That's a so where were you folks at? I don't know, Sula, you can start with this, but I guess um were you a YouTube fan when the album came out? Were you, you know, where were you coming back to it? This is kind of something we talked about in the previous episode of like, you know, working your way back to this album in a sense, or coming, you know, along like Marilyn, you alluded to sort of, you know, this was you were aware of you too, obviously a fan of you too, and, and coming out, it was, you know, you sort of received it in order almost. Uh, where were you at, at Tasula with the, with this? I was only nine years old, but I was already a fan because I was a, a big war girl um, just a few years prior when I was really young. Um, but we had MTV on in our household all the time. We were definitely an MTV family. So all of their videos like New Year's Day and Sunday Bloody Sunday were in constant rotation. So when, by the time Pride got to America, my sister and I were already indoctrinated and ran out and bought the album Tower Records across the street from our house. <laughs> nice. So I still have it. I still have the vinyl. Yeah, I saw you and Matt both tweeting pictures of, yeah. of uh, actual... I was, I was the loser who tweeted a, p- a screenshot of Spotify streaming of the album, which shows how hardcore fan I am. Acting like a, acting like a millennial. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's not. <laughs> a little, I'm out of that. A few months apart. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, that's cool. And that's like, for me, it was, I was coming the other way of like coming from sort of acting baby and working my way backwards almost in a sense and, and uh, not knowing what to make of it. Cause it wasn't, it's, you know, it is a very different kind of, like Matt said, just a, a different kind of vibe from what they're at that time was anyways, their visuals and stuff. And it did at the time screamed a bit of like eighties to me. And so it was kind of like, I don't know what to make of this, if I'm going to like it or not or whatever. Um, but, but definitely, yeah, wasn't, didn't take too much to sort of fall in love with, with the, the album. So um, anything, any comments as far as like uh, release and reception sales stuff or whatever, any, like anything like that, that we've, we've talked about in other albums in the past, I guess on some of that, but I remember I, I I don't I remember Rolling Stone Kurt Loder wrote yeah. the review of it in Rolling Stone and he didn't like it. I think he gave it I don't know three out of five stars three. or yep. two out two and a half. Okay, so it was three, and you know which isn't you know three out of five isn't bad, but it's just you know it's I guess it's like a you know a grade of a C or whatever. But I just I remember the text of the review. He just wasn't very complimentary, and I was just pissed. I just remember <laughs> I was like, "Dude, you are an idiot. You just don't get it, do you? You know what are you doing reviewing this album?" You know? and so I was, I just that's like my lasting memory of Kurt Loder. <laughs> well, and him uh, for me, him crying when Kurt Cobain died. Those are the those are the moments. But yeah. Um, I do remember Melody Maker because I always read Melody Maker because that was like the Beatles, you know, big publication to follow. And they didn't like it either because they thought it was too like romantic. And they thought here they came out with this this rocker war and now they're giving us this soft sort of melodic album. So same experience, different magazine. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I'll put links to. I found the Rolling Stone review. They have their all their old ar- archives are online or whatever, and so you can read Kurt Loder's review that made Matt so angry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but Hot Press liked it, so Ireland Ireland was on it. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, Matt, you had a note in here about headphones in the dark. I'm not sure what, <laughs> if that's a dancing in the yeah. dark reference or. No, no, no. Okay. So, no. <laughs> no, this, um, I, I don't, this was the first, I, in order to talk about headphones in the dark, I have to talk about the first, the previous note above that about buying the CD. So I, you know, I, I heard I will follow. And I sort of, you know, I became a fan of of you two. I don't recall when I bought Boy. I probably didn't buy Boy at the time. I knew Gloria from being on MTV. I became a big fan when New Year's Day and Sunday, Sunday Bloody Sunday came out. But I don't recall buying the War album at that time. I probably did, but I'm not positive. But the, but it was. I was more at that time. I was more into the Police in the early '80s. And so, you know, I had all the police albums, I had posters on my walls. And so U2 was like one of my favorite, but not my favorite. But anyway, then New Year's Day and Sunday, Sunday Bloody Sunday came along and I was like, oh, okay, this is my band now. And so for me, Unforgettable Fire was the first new album that I got to experience anticipation for as a U2 fan. And so, you know, I remember, you know, seeing stories about, you know, U2 is working on a new album. And I think I was subscribing to Rolling Stone at the time. Um, I was a little older than you guys. <laughs> um, and so, you, you know, I just, I remember this awesome buildup and just getting so excited that there was going to be a new U2 album coming out and tour dates were announced and, and all this sort of stuff. And so I bought the CD, the Unforgettable Fire CD, right when it came out for, it was $24.99. I did not even own a CD player at the time, but I had to own <laughs> this, this CD. And so I had nothing I could play it on. Um, so I listened to the cassette and I listened to the vinyl and all that sort of stuff. But then once I find, I think I think it was later that year for Christmas or my next birthday or whatever, I got this original Sony, you know, mini CD player. You know, it was like five hundred bucks or whatever. My parents got it for me as like you know my big gift that year. And um, I used to listen to the headphones in the dark references. I used to listen to this <laughs> album. I'd turn off the lights in my room. Uh, close the blinds, put this album on, and just lay on my bed in the dark listening to this album on repeat for like three, four hours at a time. And it was just like this total religious experience. And I, if you've never done that, I really, really, really strongly recommend giving it a try. It's an incredible thing to just get lost in this album. And there's things – I just remember being able to hear things in my headphones that I couldn't hear you know, through the vinyl or the cassette. And it was just, just oh gosh, I just, I'm going to like, as soon as we finish the podcast, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> I have the same memory of doing that, except it was with uh, vanilla ice's ice ice baby. So I don't know if that's the same. <laughs> gosh. Uh, wow. Not the same kind of love. I would love. never have admitted that. Chris. I was going to say, on cold meds, Chris. It might be the cold medication talking. So I'll, I'll deny it all tomorrow. If you tweet at me about it. But for now, it stands, and I may be able to quote full the full song. But we'll save that for <laughs> Cleveland, maybe. Um, but yeah, and someone else, or the is it your son's favorite album? Is that you were 
I just, I'll just read off your notes here, Matt, and let <laughs> you... Oh, I'll get to that story later. Go okay. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> um, well, let's jump, jump into the song by song discussion of the album and, uh, I'll get, uh, the audio queued up here quickly. And, um, we've, uh, in the past, I, I'll just make a note of, this is what's kind of interesting about this album. I don't know, is in the past we've, when we've done these song by song discussion, it hasn't been too hard to sort of everybody pick a song and, and puts their name in our sort of little show doc for the, for each discuss, each show discussion. And, uh, what's interesting about unforgettable fires, it's kind of like, like Matt said, it's his favorite album, but you had mentioned this in the earlier comment that there isn't like a single song that kind of is like, I have to talk about that one song. And whereas in other albums, when we've discussed, there's been very clear, almost not like fights, but <laughs> arguments over who gets to talk about, I will follow or whatever. And then sort of very clear ones. Whereas this one's a little more interesting when folks uh, sort of uh, love the whole greater than the parts is that how you say that yeah Anyways. i think that's a, for me that's a good way to put it i just think it's so much more of an album and there, there's just this feeling this like vibe that this album gives off that i just you know cherish so much much more than any you know single song uh, you know, being a, a standout or anything like that. Right. It's almost like what uh, at U2 War 40 mentioned of like the sketches. You kind of like, if you listen to one individual song, you kind of, it doesn't stand on its own as well as it, in the context of the whole thing. So anyways, let's move on. Let's get going to, uh, so first song up is a sort of homecoming. Marilyn, why don't you take us off, lead us off here with, from all the way from Ireland with your thoughts on a sort of homecoming. From, from under my hay bale. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so when you first got this album and you turn this song on, it was completely different than War, you know, and uh, after waiting for this album to come out, uh, you hear this sort of running up Larry's drums are amazing right off the bat. Like as soon as you turn on the, the CD, you can hear Larry's drums. And I always get the feeling on this album that um, he would just run away with the whole album if the rest of the band would let him do it. Um, there are definitely songs in this song where it just feels like they're trying to keep up with him. Um, and uh, But I, I love this song. I absolutely love this song. Bono's actually singing um, he's not screaming like he did on the war album. Um, there's actual lyrics. Uh, there's a story going on. Um, and I think it's just, um, just huge improvement over the, uh, the first album of uh, the war album. Um, and this first song I think was an excellent start. Um, like Matt said, uh, this album is about, the feeling that you get when you listen to it. And this first song I think is really uh, a good uh, precursor to the rest of the album. Yeah. It's a real, it's, it's interesting to think about it from that context of like, you've heard the war album 
and that was your last sort of experience of U2. And then now you're, this is dropped on you and this is your introduction to this new version of U2 or whatever you want to call it, that you kind of like, um, it, it would be a pretty stark sort of, uh, I guess going from 40 to this, you know, maybe, but like definitely you can hear the production value is higher and there's just more air in the, in the recording and, and stuff like that. That's, yeah. uh, you know, the harsh sort of sharpness of war is, is, rub down a bit or something so yeah no i i agree I, I and i agree with i mean i'd put a ditto stamp on everything maryland and everything you just said too chris for, for i re, i remember the first time i listened to this song it was it was uh, chord i i remember like being taken aback like wow this is not what i expected not as dramatically as the first time i listened to octung baby but the same kind of thing because it was very different from what i was expecting and what i'd heard before and um yeah, just it's just it's a it's a it's a uh, you know it's and it's they never figured out how to play it live the way that it sounds on the album. I mean, I love the live version too that they that they have played over the years, but it's it's a very different version than what's on the album. But it is still a good song live. I remember listening back to one of our old podcasts, um, just I mean not old old, but a few months ago, where somebody I. I can't remember who it was. Said this is terrible live. It's a wonderful studio song, but it's terrible live. I was like, like well, you, you, you clearly. No, I don't think it was you because I would call you out if I if I remember that. But, but it, I think it was Aaron. I think it was Aaron. But I I I you know reserve the right to be wrong about that. But um, but I, it infuriated me because I was like, well, then you weren't at Slain because I heard it at Slain and it was one of the best songs that they played. Never yeah, I lost love. The I love so, the live version of it too. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. But hasn't uh, well, yeah. Looking at our our tours com sites for database information on on when songs are played, two thousand one is the last time it was played live. So, yep, that's lame. We'll see if we'll ever hear it again. Uh, next up on the the list is a song that has been played a little bit <laughs> since <laughs> a couple <laughs> times, a few times. <laughs> uh, turn the volume up, Chris. So I don't know what can be said at this point about the song that um, any, even if you aren't a U2 fan, you've probably heard <laughs> many, many times in your life just because it would have been played on radio, et cetera. Um, it's, it's a song I've sort of jokingly had sort of a bit of a love hate with where um, I think I've either said this on the podcast or tweeted it, something to the effect of like, I don't look forward to it coming on in terms of like, that's a song I look forward to hearing either live on a concert or, or uh, if it's just playing off a CD or Spotify or whatever happened to be listening on. But then when it does come on, I'm never, I rarely are very reluctant to skip it anyways, because it's a song that I do actually enjoy hearing once it's going. And um, I don't know if that's, it's just because it's, I've heard it so many times it's been played so often if that's the case, or there's just something about obviously the energy of the recording and, and things like that, that you can't help but, fall in love with the energy and, and enjoying it. But um, yeah, that's sort of my experience with, with pride anyways. And then obviously the, um, you know, as a younger person first hearing it and discovering that, Oh my goodness, this is about Martin Luther King and the, you know, and, and sort of getting in touch with the political side of it as well. And, 
not just thinking like at, at the title's glance anyways, you think it's just a love song or something about that. Um, and sort of feeling a bit like of importance because you're listening to some sort of politically charged song as well. So, um, who else has, do you have any thoughts to add on pride before we move on? Well, I agree with what, uh, what you said, what, uh, U2 War 40 said. I, I mean, it is, it's a great song. It's, it's one of their best and it's, it's a shame that it's now got this reputation as being one of the, you know, the live songs that we, that we love to hate, uh, you know, that we're tired of hearing in concert because it is, it's a fantastic song. And, you, you know, just going back to what I, you know, about the, the listening in the dark laying on my bed, <laughs> I vividly recall being blown away by what I could hear of edge playing guitar and the different layers of guitar throughout this, this, uh, uh, this, this studio version of the song. And so, yeah. Yeah. It was, I remember a frequent point of discussion or debate with uh, friends of mine who were like, he's not really playing every note. He's got an echo unit and it's not really, you know, or whatever. And <laughs> the guitar nerds sort of debating whether it's really cool what he's doing or, or lazy what he's doing. Cause he's just got a delay unit on it or whatever. But, um, yeah, anyways, I, I sided with the, it's cool, <laughs> obviously. And, uh, and I think, yeah, anyways, that's a discussion for the, uh, guitar nerd podcast that we do someday um anyone else Tazula or, or marilyn i love it i, I have no further <laughs> i don't get sick of it the way you guys do like i i really don't i'm happy to hear it live yeah well and even like i said when you see like it's hard not to like you see the crowd like if it's on a concert yeah. video like you see the crowd just go nuts for it and like you can't not enjoy that. Like you have to, I don't know, you have to be pretty dead inside to <laughs> not appreciate. I was in a car once when it came on with like two diehards, including myself, and then a couple not casual fans, you know, not haters, but casual fans. And we did loudly sing the early evening April 4th instead of early morning April 4th. And they were like, what the hell are you guys doing? And we're like, well, we're, we're correcting it like Bono does in concert sometimes. You know, they're like, correcting what? So then we had to tell the whole story. You know, it's about MLK and that's reference to his assassination and blah, blah, blah. So it was a teachable moment. <laughs> I, thought a, I thought it was fun. Teachable moments for you two fans. There yeah. you go. <laughs> but it just goes to show like this many years. This was only like a year ago probably or a year or two that that happened. So – all of those years, you know, everybody knows that song. They knew all the words to the song, but they didn't know what it was about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even though I posted on my Facebook page every year on that day. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. All right. Uh, next up is Wire. Uh, Matt, do you want to take? Do you want to take wire? Sure. I'll. Um, this. This to me. This was the one song I. I always thought that was. I don't know. If, probably not intentional, but it's the one that would have fit on War, right? The most because it's. It's got that anger and that aggression. But I remember loving. I loved trying to a figure out the lyrics, and then b trying to sing the lyrics. Um, you know, with what he was saying, just be, just because it was. It was. I don't know. It had you know such an energy and um, 
and just, I don't know, just sort of attitude, I guess. I, I, uh, I, I, I remember you when I was learning to drive a few years after this album came out that this would be the one song that uh, I struggled keeping to the speed limit when it came on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this was this was like the "Be Careful" Matt. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has the uh, an aggressiveness that's uh, sort of in terms of like rhythm and beat uh, tempo that's that's not there on a lot of the other songs in the album. So. I love Adam's I love Adam's baseline on the song too. Yeah. Adam's always the one that I'm always I'm so curious how they like I can maybe it's just cuz I'm a guitar player or whatever it is but I can make sense of how like Bono and Edge work together to come up with a a song and a lyric and a riff and whatever and that kind of makes sense but like Adam's this wild card to me in terms of where he brings and how he brings something in cuz it's not like a bass is such a unique thing i mean on a song like new year's day it's fairly obvious where what's going to happen there maybe now in hindsight but um yeah where where at what point he's allowed to sort of give lead to something on a song and uh again uh repeated uh ideas we would love to be i would love to be a fly on the wall during a recording of an album because there's so many little mysteries of of how things happen that you know, don't get covered in even as good as some of the documentaries and books and things are, are about uh, documenting the, the process. It's yeah. The little things that you don't get to see that happen. So, um, I digress. So anyways, uh, health of, uh, Marilyn or just comments on wire before we move on. Yeah. I, um, I like the song because, uh, especially because of Adam's bass, I think it gives it, um, a darkness, um, where everything else feels sort of slippery and, uh, light this this feels heavier uh, because of that baseline. Um, I also love this song because this is uh, the beginning of the sexy Bono singing and the rapping Bono, <laughs> which uh, we had a little bit of rapping Bono on War, but uh, he really uh, tries it uh, on a couple of songs here. <laughs> so uh, I like the rapping Bono. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Well, I'm sure there's uh, the rapping Bono fans will come out of the woodwork as soon as they they hear your your call to arms. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's his best thing that he does, but I like that he tries it. So <laughs> a for effort, yeah, a for effort. That's right. That's right. Awesome. All right. Uh, next track is uh, the Unforgettable Fire. Sula, why don't you take the lead on this one? Yeah, this is my favorite U2 song of of all of them. Overall, uh, really? Oh, it is. It is. It has been for many years. Um, I it lowers my blood pressure. It's it's one of those songs <laughs> that the minute that I hear those first few notes, I actually have kind of a visceral reaction to it. Like whether it be like I get goosebumps or or a little tingle or something. Like I, it's 
something that's like inside of me that responds to the song. I love it so much. And it also holds a good memory because it's the one time that I actually got a response from Larry's sister when I wrote into the fan club years ago. (laughs) So, um, Back in the day, propaganda used to put, sometimes they would put lyrics in the magazines. And this is one of the songs that they did put in the magazine. And there's that line that says, um, throughout, or, you know, carnival, blah, blah, blah. And then it said, throughout the hall, red wine that punctures the skin. And then fast forward to U2.com launching years later, and I'm revisiting this album because I'm getting ready to go to Slane. I've never seen them in Ireland. I've seen the YouTube before, but I've never seen them in Ireland. So I'm like super excited. And I'm just revisiting this album over and over and over. It was almost all I listened to besides All That You Can't Leave Behind, which was what was out at the time. And I'm, you know, scanning the website and I see that the lyric on YouTube.com is a discrepancy between the one on, on propaganda. And, and those that line said through alcohol instead of throughout the hall and through alcohol with red wine puncturing the skin after it makes more sense. So I thought, well, that's probably it, but I want to be sure. So I wrote in and Cecilia answered me on one of her legendary postcards in her handwriting and said, the U2.com one is correct. (laughs) So I still have that. I still have her handwritten uh, response to that. So if anybody was wondering, if anybody had that burning question that they've been waiting years for the answer for, that is the answer. Um, U2.com was right. And I don't know why it was ever written incorrectly in propaganda, but so that holds a good, <laughs> that holds a good memory for me. Aside <laughs> from the fact I actually adore the song and could never get tired of it live or studio. I love that uh, and just heard it here on the recording. Maybe maybe it's just because I have headphones on, Matt. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the – and I, like, I've heard it before, but the mistake that's in there as far as like Larry starting early or depending on whatever they were doing as far as click track and stuff, but you can hear him counted in and then right. sort of a, a muffled – Something, <laughs> something happens. Yeah. Something happens, anyways, and and just that you know whether by mi- I'm I'm assuming by mistake. It, I don't know if anybody knows the actual details there, but the uh, you know it gets left in and it's on the rec- recording. It's still on the recording. I'm sure all these years later, if Larry hears that, he's like, oh, frick, or something worse that we can't say. But <laughs> are you ta- are you talking about at the beginning of the song? Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, at the very he, beginning. He's yeah. counts in or whatever, right? So- Right, because if you if you go, I was just going to say if you go to the lyrics that uh, Ian, uh, that Ian Ryan, our lyrics guy, has on the site, the very first, the very first line of the song is "Oh, sugar, honey, iced tea." <laughs> 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 right. So, like he, so I, I, I guess if you put your headphones on and listen really close, you can hear somebody saying that. Oh yeah, I see that's what he's got in the lyrics too. <laughs> Which anybody who like, if you don't, it is hard. Like, I mean, it isn't that hard to really hear it obviously but i could see i don't know maybe again musician or whatever but like you definitely hear that and wonder what's going on there and but yeah you see somebody looking at our lyrics page and being like what i've never heard that <laughs> i think it was very beatlesque of them to leave it in though and i would i would almost bargain that they consciously thought that like because the beatles used to do stuff like that all the time you know there's the back of shakespeare's and one of their songs, they have, you know, at the beginning, on all of the the live versions that they did for the anthology, they left in a lot of, like, counting in and stuff like that. I bet that they they thought it was cool to leave it in. 
Yeah. I, that's what I wonder. Cause it's like I, the perfectionist of Larry or what I perceive to be anyways of his perfectionist side, I guess, and edge to not wanting to like leave a little anyway, who knows? I guess maybe someday we'll know. It's a good question to ask yeah, them when Larry when comes when on the we show. Have them, yeah. When we have them <laughs> captive. Yeah. Not in Cleveland. That's not a veiled no. <laughs> implication at all. Uh, but if they do want to come, they're more than welcome. Okay. Uh, moving on. <laughs> or does anybody else, sorry, I, I'm leaving Tasula with the only commentary, I guess, but Marilyn, do you have a, it's never a bad thing, <laughs> the unforgettable <laughs> fire commentary. Um, I love this song. Just like Tasula said, I never get tired of hearing this song. And if this is one of those good ones on headphones, I do have to say, I also have a headphones in the dark story about this album. Um, it's a little different. Um, one of the local radio stations was playing um, anthologies of different bands, and they would start at midnight. So, you know, being a college student, I'm like, oh, I'll just sleep with my headphones on, and I'll get up, and I'll go to class, and it'll be fine, um, because they were doing U2. So, of course, I wanted to stay up and listen to the whole U2. So they started with the first album, and they worked their way through. So by the time they got to the unforgettable fire it was probably about four o'clock in the morning and i was deliriously tired and this album came on and it just i was having visions and <laughs> it was you know just all the different sounds and this song especially was i can still remember that feeling that i had listening to the song in the headphones while i, I had been up all night um so, Tasula, I'm with you on this one for sure. It's a great, great song. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's keep moving. Uh, Promenade is the next song. Like I said before on these shows, uh, these episodes anyways, I sort of fall into just listening to the album instead of <laughs> remembering that we're on a podcast and needing to talk about it. I had to resist the urge to start singing. So, okay. <laughs> uh, Promenade. Matt, do you want to take the lead on this one? Yeah, this is, this to me, this, uh, you know, Marilyn mentioned when she was talking about a sort of homecoming that, you know, she she mentioned about Bono and his... Um, his singing and I think the poetry of this album and th this to me this is this is a you know just a, a poem that is set to music and this was a time when and and Bono talked about this in a lot of the interviews from that from that era where he wasn't you know sometimes he was writing words just because of how they sounded not because of what they meant or said and I think this is probably a really good example of that because a lot of it doesn't really make much sense some of it does. I mean, some of it, we, you know, you, we know the story that the spiral staircase talks about, you know, the house that he and Allie had when they, you know, first got married, that sort of stuff. Um, but a lot of it is just, you know, uh, is just him like sort of sketching different words out and, and sound. Um, 
and I just uh, th- this this song, you know, for me, it, it get, you know, brings me to a, a happy, peaceful place the same way Unforgettable Fire does for Tesola. This I, this is one of my favorites. That's interesting. It's one of those ones for me that's like it's more like uh, who U two forty was saying U two war forty was saying like sketches that to me doesn't land as well, but um, not that it's. Uh, a hate thing or <laughs> anything like that. But I guess after the sort of, it's a good like emotional break, I guess, after the well-composed and deeper, I guess, unforgettable fire, um, you know, that you've just come through, I guess, in the, in that sense. But uh, yeah, it wouldn't be one of my favorite tracks on the album, but uh, DeSula or, or uh, Marilyn, how about you? No, I mean, I, it's not my, it's obviously not my favorite, but I, I probably like it more than you do and less than Matt does. <laughs> <laughs> We have the ranking system. Okay, Marilyn, yeah. where do you fit in between? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to agree with Matt. I think this uh, whole album is exactly what he just said, where there are songs that have very deliberate lyrics, um, and then there's just like Bono's stream of consciousness uh, songs. So you get a little bit of each of those. And um, this one falls kind of right in between that. I mean... It sort of means something, but doesn't really mean anything. But um, I like it. I, I I just like the sound of it. I really like the sound of it. All right, let's keep moving. We're uh, on to Fourth of July. So I think, I think this is, I was just about to fall asleep. It was so hypnotizing. Um, (laughs) Hopefully people are still awake listening to the podcast, but yeah. (laughs) I got to relax. Like this is one of those, uh, well, the album as a whole is one of those that you could actually like put on to go to sleep to. You can't do that with a lot of U2 albums. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have actually gone to sleep to this album many times. Um, But anyway, 4th of July, (laughs) why I like it, it's because... To me, it's like an inside joke between fans. Like, since social media has come about, I have begun a tradition of posting this on Twitter or wherever on 4th of July here in America, which is a big Independence Day holiday for us. And all of the YouTube fans will retweet it and be like, yeah, you know, everything. And a lot of other people will go, why did you, you know, tweet this out? And I I use a version that doesn't have the title, so people don't know that it's called the 4th of July. And they're like, what is this? Why why would you be? And they don't realize that it's you too. And, you know, so I think it's fun because it's an instrumental song, which obviously we hadn't seen at this point from the band. And it's not bad. It's something you can put on and, like, do your laundry. <laughs> you can... Put it on if you're reading a book and it's not so distracting that you won't be able to read your book. So a lot of uses for 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> I would never think of it as a useful song, but I do. I will. I will from now on. I will from now on. I don't have any, I don't have any particular 
you know, comment on the song itself, but I would just like to say that I would love for them to put an instrumental on on an upcoming album again. I it's been sure. forever since they've done that. Sure. Yeah, it's a unique thing and and again. Good at it. Yeah, it's like from a from a newer U2 fan or whatever coming back to this, it's it's kind of an odd thing to have instrumentals in my mind, but it definitely isn't a a bad thing, especially as an album concept. You know, in this day and age, obviously, you have singles and songs, and you just grab whatever you want and listen to. It kind of gets lost in that idea, but um, yeah, definitely fits on on uh, an album discussion. So, all right, uh, next up is bad. That one for me. So let it keep playing. Come on. I just want it's to get only, It's only six minutes long. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. It's not the live version. That's eight minutes or whatever. Um, <laughs> Can we get the Ruby Tuesday line, please? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's definitely one of those live songs that, like, it. it um, I'd love to hear how folks who, I came to it knowing it live, and that was, you know, coming back to the album version, then it's like, well, I like the song, obviously, I guess, and so, um, but I'd love to hear folks who heard it on the album first, and, and how it sort of resonated, because for me, it it conjures up just the, the stadium of people at, sort of in at peace, in a sense, but um, like a release, emotional connection with the band, with a memory, with a a time of life or, or whatever it happens to be for each person um, on that level. But then also just as for, from a guitar player standpoint, it's, it's such an interesting, simple little melody line that or riff that edge plays over and over for six minutes that, but they can pull it off. And that's, what's always so impressive to me. Um, plus I love anything where he's doing like what's basically kind of like calling a droning sound where he's got an open string that's just ringing. Um, and uh, which the song is full of, and it just makes for a fun thing to try and replicate and play. If you've got your own little echo unit type thing to play along with uh, on your electric guitar in your basement or wherever you happen to be. So, but uh, maybe Marilyn, I don't know uh, if you have a memory of like hearing this song for the first time on the album and not coming from the live performance to the album and how, what were your thoughts when you heard it? Um, I, I immediately liked the song. Um, the first time I heard it. And I think it's, like you said, it's just simple. And it's um, it starts off really slow and s- quiet, and then it builds and builds and builds. And um, I think that's one of the things the band is really good at, is building that feeling and then the release, like you said, in the live setting. Um, so I, I always love this song. Uh, and you can sing it like at the top of your lungs and not feel like an idiot. So I, I like that aspect of it myself. <laughs> How about for you, Matt? Uh, I, yeah, I, I liked, I, I guess when I heard that, when I listened to the album, I liked the song, but Chris, I guess I come to it from that other angle that you did because 
I wouldn't have said, you know, I didn't see you two live until April 24th of 85. So the album had been out several months by then, what, six, eight months, I think, um, by then. And I don't recall thinking that Bad was anything special when I would listen to it on the CD. I didn't dislike it in any way, but it wasn't until I saw that live show that I understood what Bad was all about and what it could be. It didn't really take on um, any special meaning to me until I heard it live. And so, yeah, for that first six, eight months, it was just another U2 song, and then everything changed. <laughs> That's interesting. And then, yeah, famously, obviously, they, they played it at the Live Aid. Live Aid. Yeah, in 85 and did the 12-minute version of it that's, you know, in a lot of people's minds sort of helped catapult them to that some next level or whatever and, and things like that. So um, no question that it's a famous song and, <laughs> and well-deserved and, and doesn't for whatever reason, like in the same way that I was talking about pride having um, you know, sort of being like, Oh, here we go again. Kind of feeling for me anyways, it bad doesn't have that. And yet it's not, I, I don't think it's played and played as much. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it hasn't been played maybe as much, but it's definitely up there in terms of, and a, and a very, you know, similar kind of vibe of like Edge playing a repeating line over and over for <laughs> a lot of the song. And, but I think it is like, for me, it's a, a much more emotional depth that you can, once you've seen them live, obviously you've seen it live. Um, it's feels like Bono is really connecting with something much deeper than just what's happening in, in front of them you know, when they're singing it. So um, any final, final comments to Sula? Did you have, I sort of cut you off there. No, no, Live Aid. I was just going to say I like the I always liked the song on the album, but I didn't love it until Live Aid. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Um okay, Indian Summer Sky. I don't know if we can listen long enough uh, without getting sued to get the, the OOs. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> For anybody who's wondering, just I guess if you're curious, we we have permission to play you know a bit of a song, but we can't play very much of it before we set off some lawyer alarm bells or whatever. That's what we keep referring to. So um, they, yeah. Anyways, Indian Summer Sky. Um, what do you folks think about? It's definitely a return to. Uh, aggressive uh, musical styling and and sort of you know you can picture them picking the song orders and sort of like okay after bad we want something maybe to bring us back up a bit or whatever um, but uh, again I guess I keep harping back to this idea of how you guys would have heard it you know initially or whatever you <laughs> older folks <laughs> our elders I, I'm curious yeah our elders how 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 did you, how did it go back in <laughs> you know i get, i come on the podcast to get away from my kids telling me how old i am so i really don't need this <laughs> same <laughs> hey that was it that's what the kids say today marilyn same that's right okay. that's all they say awesome <laughs> they probably don't say awesome though but anyway <laughs> what what's uh indian summer sky is it a, a love hates where, where do you guys fall in this one 
Oh, it's just it's there. It's I mean I don't I don't dislike <laughs> it at all. It's it's I mean it's an it's a it's another sky. I mean the 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 lyric that we just heard. You you let you let it play until the very first line in the ocean cuts ring deep the sky. Like what in the name of God is he talking about? <laughs> right? Bongolese. <laughs> yeah. So I mean it's it's I don't know, it's it's another sketch. Um, you know, it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a bad song. It, it never had much of a live history. They played it a few times back in the day and, and, um, you know, no, I don't, I don't know anyone that, uh, you know, just jumps and says it's their favorite all time U2 song, but I don't think it's bad in any way. Yeah. Nine times according to the U2 at U2.com database. So I think it would be exhausting for edge to play. It seems like a lot of guitar work. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and, and Adam too, he's, He's going pretty good yeah. on this one. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's not dwell. We'll, we'll move on. Elvis Presley in America. another it's an interesting uh musically wise instrumentation wise i'm i don't know exactly what edge is using there it's some sort of acoustic-y shimmering guitar sound that he's got going on that isn't a a common sound from the rest of the album anyways and um kind of lends to the what was it i think marilyn was saying like the ethereal kind of sound of of the whole album is there in various ways but uh definitely comes through on that song uh but uh marilyn maybe i don't know if you have thoughts on elvis presley in america and um, this is, uh, the Bongolese preserved for the ages. So, um, wasn't this the song that they were just sounding out and trying to just playing in the studio and Eno said, okay, that's it. We're, we're putting it on the album. Um, is that right, Matt? I thought. Yes, that is, that is correct. Yeah. So. Like a lot of the other songs, I think this has Eno all over it. Um, And uh, I I don't know. I mean, I like it and I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, that's a, this song, this, this song actually, you know, my experience over the years is that this song is, you know, like fandom is divided on this one. That there's, you know, there's a lot of people that really, really hate it. And then others that, you know, just think that it's this, you know, really cool experimental type thing. And, and, um, I don't know, I lean towards more that it's really cool just cause it's so different. And, and right. yeah, I, I, and, and I'd heard, I don't, I don't remember if I thought I'd heard that, that the music or maybe just the drum track, but maybe the whole music is, it's a sort of homecoming slowed down or something like that, or it's one of the other songs just slowed down. I, I don't, I don't recall if I'm, if that's correct, but. Well, the drums are definitely more tribal than military, like the last album, you know, mm-hmm. in this sequence. So there's something there. Yeah, I definitely, I, I hadn't known, I didn't know the story of, of Eno sort of saying, that's it, we're putting it on or whatever. And, and cause it definitely sounds like a, almost like a, a rough demo that, 
somehow slipped through <laughs> in a sense um, in terms of just production, or whatever, but um, this here, I'll just, I'll just real quick. I know we have a policy against reading on the podcast. <laughs> oh, you're going to piss him off. Don't make the host mad, <laughs> but this is, this is what Ian I'm has on, reading on. This is what Ian has on the <laughs> lyrics page for Elvis Presley America. This is a quote from Bono in the new musical express 1984. He says, Eno just handed me a microphone and told me to sing over this piece of music that had been slowed down, played backwards, whatever. I said, what, just like that? He said, yes, this is what you're about. So I did it, and when it was finished, there were all these beautiful lines and melodies coming out of it, and they put it on the album just like that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It, it kind of makes sense, and, and yeah, you can. I'll put a link to the lyrics page in case you haven't ever... Um, sort of read along with what he's actually sort of saying and how it's, it is kind of just random bongleses or saying and, uh, but still curious to see what's, what comes out of his mouth when he just free. Yeah, I, it. I like what, what pool boy just said in the chat room that it's kind of a glimpse yeah. inside the making of a U2 song. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 Like one that they, a demo that they left. if, if, and when we ever get the vaults released someday and get to sort of see a bit more of a peek into some of the drafts, I guess that they're left behind. Um, we hear more stuff like that, but all right. Finally, uh, MLK. Sue, do you want to lead off her final song? Yeah. So this one has really warm memories for me. Um, years ago, when I was in college in Missouri, I was a preschool teacher. And I would arrive, because of my schedule, I was like the afternoon teacher or whatever. So I would arrive right when the kids who were there all day were laying down for a nap. So I would like tuck them in for their nap. And then I would dim the lights and I would sing to them to put them to sleep. And at the same time, there was another group of students that would always be leaving. The morning kids were leaving. And we had, you know, different stairways and stuff that they they went up so they didn't disrupt the children that were about to go to sleep, et cetera, et cetera. And anyway, when I would sing this song to them to go to sleep, which I did quite often, a few times a week at least, um, I noticed that there would be like a mother that would linger in the corner when I was singing, which was not – it wasn't as creepy as it sounds. But – um. <laughs> She was lovely. And finally, one of these times, you know, I had them all asleep and I started to go back upstairs to prepare whatever I was going to do when they woke up. And and um, she grabbed me in the hallway and said, I just have to ask you, you know, that, that's such a beautiful song that you always sing and the kids always talk about it. And and what what hymn book is that from? Like, what church were you raised in that, that you know, that has that, that song? <laughs> and I just thought that was such a compliment. I was like, it's actually not a church song. It's a U2 song. Church of U2. <laughs> and now I'm probably going to not be able to sing it anymore because you're asking me this question. But um, 
But no, she was just flabbergasted. She's like, and I, you know, she considered herself a fan, quote unquote. Um, you know, she knew a few of their songs, of course. But uh, but she's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna go buy that CD right now. Like that that's just the most beautiful song. And and every time that I start to hear you sing it, it like calms me down. I'm coming in off of my part-time job and you know everything. <laughs> and I thought, well, gee, that's great. You know, that's really a compliment. And and that's how I feel when I hear it. It certainly, again, it's one of those that just like really calms me down and and takes the stress away and the rain and all the good stuff uh, only makes it better. Yeah, I'm trying to think, do they have, uh, I'm just, again, I'll blame the cold medication, but a song that is that sort of like just no no band Bono singing over top of a you know synth or whatever strings for the whole song like that? Is that unique to this album and this song? Well, if 40 didn't have drums, it would be close to that, but yeah, but even there, but there's, but there's drums, you know? Yeah. Anyway, it's just, it is an interesting album that way, just in terms of the the different ways they experimented and probably, you know, I I would guess like we alluded to earlier with, you know, you know, sort of saying, here's what you're going to do for Elvis Presley. Um, you know, they're probably a little bit intimidated with these two producers and, and sort of, letting them dictate a bit maybe more than what they would in later on in in their career, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to say, but I do think, um, while Chris is hacking up his lungs, um, (laughs) that, that I, I think that the reception of 40 probably allowed them to feel like they could end this album with this song. Right. And maybe that's, yeah, that's like you had brought it up as a possible comparison. That's a good comparison because it, it does sort of give them freedom to know that their audience and their, their crowd or whatever will follow them to that, even though they, you know, they love the, I will follows and, and things at the other time, pride, et cetera. But knowing that, right. yeah, a song like this, they can get away with maybe or whatever musically too. Um, it's kind of interesting. So, and they kind of kept that trend up. I mean, you know, for later, for later discussions, but think about love is blindness. Think about, you know, some of the other songs that have ended the other albums later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love, love is blindness would be a good comparison, I guess, too. similar kind of feeling anyways of, of the the production of it. Um, all right. Well, any, I don't, I don't want to keep us going into, and all of a sudden we'll be at two hours. <laughs> we know how Matt hates the long ones. So, <laughs> but uh, any closing comments on, on unforgettable fire, we'll go around the, the virtual round table, starting with uh, Marilyn, if you want to go first and sort of each give any sort of closing comments on the album that you maybe didn't get to in the earlier discussion, but go ahead, Marilyn. Um, well, I would just like to say that this is the album that really pulled me in to being a U2 fan. Um, I really liked War, um, and, you know, the first two albums I knew just the hits from hearing them, uh, on MTV or whatever, but, uh, this is the one where I, I really just got sucked in to this band um and i still love this album i still think it's an awesome album i think um i love uh, i love the the experimentation on this album and um the noise and everything so yay you too thanks for putting this one out (laughs) matt how about you I would just say what I re- what I said earlier. I would just invite everyone to turn the lights out, put their headphones on, or their earbuds in, and just play this on repeat a couple times some night, and just soak it in and enjoy it. It's so so good. Yeah, definitely, I agree. And Tasula, how about you? Uh, always a favorite. Um, 
still in my top five uh, of all time. Love it. Yeah, and that's what I hope. Um, I'll I'll speak as the the, the token Actung baby uh, person, uh, YouTube fan here. That uh, through the discussions of these earlier albums, especially that you know newer fans find their way back to uh, some of the older albums as a whole, not just as, you know, songs they've heard live or whatever, and, and give them a spin or a stream, wherever you happen to listen to music. Um, and uh, if you're near, who is it, Sula or Matt has the, or maybe you both have the actual record still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah. both do. Yeah, Maryland too, probably. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can uh, definitely you can hear stuff on some of the older <laughs> recordings and you don't necessarily get to hear, and like Matt said, throwing some headphones on and, and hearing what's actually going on in, in in the midst of all the noise is a, is a great way to experience the album. So um, next, coming up next is The Joshua Tree, a, a fairly popular album among <laughs> YouTube fans and uh, music fans in general. And uh, I forget who's fighting right now about getting to be on that discussion, but so we'll be back in a couple of weeks with that one. I like what uh, Pool Boy in the chat room had mentioned that MLK is kind of the obvious sort of drone connection of MLK as the last song in this album into Streets on Joshua Tree is kind of a nice little segue. Um, so uh, that's what we'll, we'll be discussing in uh, in episode 40 of our podcast. And uh, But you can find all the links and, and things we discussed throughout the show whenever we've said it'll be a link in the show notes. You, if you visit goodstuff.fm slash atu2 slash 39, that's where you can find this episode. You can follow uh, at u2.com on Twitter at atu at YouTube and facebook.com slash at youtube.com is where you can follow like on Facebook. So um, thanks to Tasula, to Marilyn and Matt for joining me for this discussion and keeping me from going too far off into the cold medication territory and just doing a three hour version of Elvis Presley in America of my own. <laughs> uh, where can folks find you uh, if they want to uh, give you some comments, I guess on, uh, on Twitter, Marilyn, I would start with you. I'm uh, at miss Marilyn and Tasula at Tasula T A S S O U L A and Matt at Matt McGee. And I'm I Chris and uh, we will see you back again in a couple weeks. And if uh, not then, then hopefully in Cleveland or Dublin, depending on where you end up and where you are in the world. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Bye.